Today, in this world, there will be sent 247 billion emails. There will be, I just got a text message from a member of this church who's not here. Just got it. Happy Father's Day, John. That's nice. There will be 3.5 billion text messages sent. Uh, I have my Bluetooth in. Let's see. I, I can listen to you call me on the phone. I can read this text. Let's see. On my computer here, I have, I have so many emails to return. Five years ago, the average American teenager spent six and a half hours in digital media or related media. Could it get any more? They found now, five years later, the average teenager spends seven and a half hours in digital media. But that's not actually true. What they calculated was that they spend 11 hours in digital media a day. How can that be? How can that possibly be? Multitasking. Multi, you have your computer. Imagine the teenager. He's got his Bluetooth in. He's got his text, his Blackberries going. He's got his laptop open and the TV with 800 channels on at the same time. And parents, you're not much better. Some of you, I know how busy you are. Overwhelmed. And what's so what is so interesting about this is that it creates what is called hyper-relationships, uh, hyper a hyper-relational experience where you have just so many more human connections, you are becoming hyper-relational, and at the same time, you know what the studies are showing? That it's doing great damage to our social, intellectual, and spiritual lives. Because at the very moment that you have been hyper-relationalized, you tend to isolate yourself because of the digital media. They say that uh, of the thousand text mails, text messages that a, uh, a, a young person gets or sends a month, let's see, uh, boys get 30 a day. Girls get 80 a day, get or send 80 a day. Girls tend to see it more toward some kind of desire for relationship. Boys tend to see it as a means of escape. I don't know if that's, that's a generalization, but when there's stress at home, it's off to the video game. It's off to the computer connection, and I'm isolated. So you have hyper-relationships uh, hyper and isolation at the same time. How weird is that? Now, my concern today is what is it doing to your soul? I love technology, but what is it doing to my soul? Our text today speaks very loudly to, a, to people who are dominated by distraction. Our text is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. We're in our second-to-last sermon in the book of Ephesians. Next week, we wrap it up. Paul says this. 
He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. For I am an ambassador in chains, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And this is a wonderful text for people in the 21st century who are hyper-relational through the digital media and who are also isolated and cut off from face-to-face, voice-to-voice, mouth-to-mouth, life-on-life connection. And it's a beautiful passage of Scripture that I, that I hope will encourage you as we look at it just briefly today. I hope it's going to encourage you to enlarge your own prayer life. It's one brief passage. It, it lays out this sort of comprehensive picture of what it means to be a praying Christian. That's, I, you know, I want to be a praying Christian. We say elders are supposed to be given to prayer and the Word, but all this stuff distracts me. What about you? Here's what he says. You know, in this church, we list our core values. And the first core value of the North Shore Community Church, that's in all our documents, the first core value is this. Prayer is fundamental, not supplemental. The elders, we spent six months talking about core values. You know, This is it. This is number one for us. Prayer is fundamental, not supplemental. You don't just add on a lick and a prayer at the end. Ministry isn't just organization. Our life together has to be born out of seeking God's face and praying, praying, praying for His help and His blessing and His Spirit. And so he lays out for us a couple of things. He says, spirit-directed prayer is the way you should pray. It should be continual prayer. There should be all kinds of prayer. It should, uh, and, and, and he goes on as you just take these phrases one after the other. So, first of all, Friends, when we learn how to pray, let's pray in the Spirit. And uh, where does this take place? How does this happen? We're told in Romans 8, 26, something very beautiful. It tells us that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. That we, He says, we do not know how we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express, And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Here's this picture. He says, pray in the Spirit at all times. So that means that Spirit-filled, Spirit-directed, in the Spirit praying is not one kind of praying as opposed to other kinds of praying. Whenever you pray, it's supposed to be led and directed by the Holy Spirit. So all prayer, all true praying comes from God's Holy Spirit moving us internally to pray. Romans 8, uh, 15 says, You have received a spirit of sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The, The Holy Spirit witnesses, testifies to us that we are children of God. And the point is, you need the Holy Spirit to pray. Are you with me in this? David says in Psalm 51, He says, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. 
Now, David was very eloquent. Some of you are wordsmiths. You went to college. You majored in English. You know how to put words together in a prayer. What was David saying? David was saying, I need God to open my lips. So, praying must always come from the Spirit of God. And that's why whenever you pray, you, you just release yourself to the Lord. You say, Lord, fill me with your Spirit. Help me to pray. I don't even know how to pray. I'm like David who said, Lord, open my lips. We're not talking about fixing words together. The pagans do that very well, Jesus said. You need the Holy Spirit to teach you to pray. And He will give you energy because I, I look around this room. You're all doing very well. You're still awake, but people are tired. People are tired. People are weary. People are discouraged. Who will give you the energy to pray? The Holy Spirit gives you energy to pray. And that's why you need the Holy Spirit. So you ask the Lord. And Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example in this. You know how Jesus said, um, I do nothing on my own. It's a very insightful uh, thing that he reveals to us. Jesus says, I live in communion with my Father. And what the Holy Spirit does is he puts you in communion with God the Father and now with God the Son. And so you surrender yourself to the Lord and you say, Lord, help me to pray anytime that you pray. So, spirit-directed prayer. Then he says, let's pray with continual prayer. This is really interesting. He says, pray at all times on all occasions. And I wish we could learn, North Shore Community Church, who's scattered on that map all over this. this I wish we would un understand that we need both when we are gathered and when we are scattered to pray without ceasing, to pray all the time. And I wonder if you're with me on this. If you think we only pray on Sunday mornings or on Wednesday nights, you're mistaken. We as a church need to pray as throughout the day. Some, some, um, some, anyway, some people think Paul's saying when he says pray on all occasions and pray continually, that he's saying pray a lot. And maybe that's what he's saying. You, you ought to be the kind of person who prays a lot. And I like that idea. You, uh, you, you know, if you um, have a test in school, right before the test, pray. And during the test, pray. Okay, that's good. If you have a, a boss who's breathing down your neck at work, pray. If uh, you're coming home to a conflict, pray. If you've got to pay the bills and there's not enough cash on hand, you, you need to pray. If your children are driving you crazy, why pray? And, and I think there is something to that. He's saying pray a lot. But actually, the text says pray all the time. Now, now, how do you do that? If you're playing baseball and you're in the batter's box and the pitcher is winding up, you know, you really need to pay attention to the pitcher, right? And if you're working on a complex problem at work, you know, you don't rob your boss by getting on your knees and praying. What, what is he saying here? What the Bible teaches is that there is a kind of posture that the Christian is to have that is living always before God. You're always before God. You're always in His presence. And so even when the pitch is coming down uh, from the pitcher, you're still, you still have a heart that's submitted to the Lord. 
And that's this, I think that's what he's saying, that we, you and I, together as a church family, need to learn how to live in perpetual submission to God and to pray. And Jesus, Jesus is our example of this. He said, I did nothing on my own. In something even more thrilling that I pointed out last week, it says that Jesus Christ saves his people. How? It says, it's Hebrews 7.25. It's a great verse to highlight or underline in your Bible, Hebrews 7.25. He is able to save completely those who come to the Father through him. Why? Because he always lives to intercede for them. Here's the picture, right? Jesus died. Am I glad he died? That's where my forgiveness is. Jesus rose from the dead. I'm going to live forever with him. Jesus ascended into heaven, and there he was enthroned at the right hand of God in heaven, we're told. You read all about this in the book of Revelation. And what does he do there? Jesus bored right now? Is Jesus twiddling his thumbs up in heaven right now? According to Hebrews 7, verse 25, he is busy praying for his people. He is busy interceding for you. So he's in continual prayer. He is the ultimate multitasker. I don't know, does Jesus have a Blackberry and a computer and, a, and an iPhone and the ultimate multitasker, our Savior, interceding for you, that you will be saved. Now, how do you pray? Continual prayer? I read this week about a missionary, 70 years old, came back from India. And he's 70 years old, and he's getting his driver's license. Anybody here about to get their driver's license? I know some of the teenagers are really excited. Soon, soon, and very soon you'll have your driver's license. This guy comes back, and he's, so he's ready for his driver's test, and the state trooper gets in the car. The old man says to the trooper, Sir, I'm from India. It's dangerous to drive in India. And we always pray before we even start the car. So I'm going to pray with you right now before I take you on this driver's test. And he bows his head and he prays. And what, what the trooper must have been thinking, what kind of person is this? He thinks driving is dangerous. Am I safe? But, but what this guy was doing is he was just living out this prayer, this, this command. Pray all the time. Pray continually. Jesus lived that way. So should we. And then it says, this is interesting, it says pray all kinds of prayer. Think about this. What kinds of prayer can you think of? Well, there's standing up prayer, right? And there's sitting down prayers. There's private prayer where nobody can hear you. You're just quietly speaking in your own mind and heart to the Father. And there's public prayer, like Bill Melcher led us in together in the presence of many people. There's um, walking down the road prayers. That's uh, just walking along as you take the dog out. There's on your face before God, trembling prayer. There is the prayer of faith, the prayer of petition, the prayer of intercession. The, and there's all kinds of prayer. There's even singing. And Jesus, Jesus one more time, is our example in this. Sometimes Jesus is filled with praise. He says, I thank you, Father, right? You see how he begins his prayers, just thankfulness. Other times he intercedes for people. And in his high priestly prayer, he says, I pray for these 
and not only for these, but I pray for others who will hear my message through them. So Jesus is an intercessor. Jesus is full of praise uh, to others. He even prays prayers of anguish. That's right. You can be honest with God that you're upset. And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane just lays it out to his heavenly Father. You know how else Jesus prayed? He prayed singing. He prayed singing. We read that he, with his disciples, and they sang a hymn. Jesus liked to sing, apparently. And those songs were prayers to his Father in heaven. So we pray with spirit-led prayer. We pray with continual prayer. We pray with all kinds of prayers. And then, this is interesting, he says, you pray with persistent prayer. See in the phrase, he says, and keep on praying. Now, who needs to hear that today? Don't give up. Are you tempted to give up in prayer? I am sometimes. But apparently, that's a mistake. Don't give up. Are there people that you're praying for and you're going to give up on them? Don't give up. He says, and keep on praying. He's talking about persistent praying. And, and Jesus himself taught this story of this widow. Remember the widow, the, the persistent widow? What was she like? She, go <laughs> she goes to the judge's house at night. She says, judge, wake up. Judge, give me justice. And what does the judge do? He turns over and puts the pillow over his head. And what does she do? She keeps knocking. Finally, the judge says, okay, and he crawls out of bed, and he says, I don't fear God, I don't fear man, but just so that this woman will stop knocking, I'm going to give her what she's asking for. And Jesus explicitly said, I want you to be like that. I want you to be that way. Don't give up. Hang in there. And I've told you about the, my own father, my own dad was a scientist and an engineer. He was a thoroughly modern man, and he didn't believe in miracles, and he didn't believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, we would talk. We would dialogue. We would, you know. But I prayed for my father every day. Every day when I was in college, for four years I prayed for my dad. I prayed for my father for several years after that, when he was in his early 60s. And I mean every argument in the book, you know, he had, but we were in our 60s. He and I were going hunting one day. We were driving north of Williamsport, Pennsylvania, up in the mountains, up there. He's driving. I'm in the passenger seat. All of a sudden, he looks at me and says, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need Jesus to be my Savior. It's a good thing I wasn't driving. <laughs> what? He says, I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need Jesus to be my Savior. What, was, what happened to him? As one of you here said, it was like the runway lights went on for him. And I said, Dad, have you, you know... That's amazing. Are you at that place? You know, they say sometimes from the head to the heart is the longest distance in the world. Have you come to the place where you've actually made that your own? He's driving. He says, you know, I have. My dad bought the Bible on tape for the next 10 years. He never went anywhere. He just loved to listen to the Bible in the cassette tape in the car. And he just, you know, 
Don't give up. Are you tempted to give up? Don't give up. Elijah. Elijah was such a pessimist. Old Testament. You need to know your Old Testament prophets. Elijah was such a pessimist. And after his great victory, he just gets all bummed out. Jezebel is still after him. Jezebel's going to hurt me. He goes off, and God comes to him, and he's crying, and he's whining, and God says, what's your problem? He, he talks like some of your children do. You know, when they're really young, crying, trying to get it out, sobbing. They can hardly breathe. And, and God, God listens to him when he prays like that. And then God comes back to him, and he says, okay, Elijah, tell me again. I love this. God says, tell me again. Now, calm down. you're calmed down now. And Elijah lays out his plea to the Father. And God says, okay, good. Thanks for telling me again. Now, you go on. I'm going to take care of this. And he does. You know, I think God has a special place in his heart for pessimists. You pessimists out there. He says, keep coming. Keep bringing your worst-case scenario to me, my child. Don't give up. And then, finally, he says, let's pray with intercessory prayer. He says, let's pray for all the saints. And who do you know that needs prayer today that you need to pray for? Paul gives you a good idea. He says, pray for me, he says. And I'm, I'm, I, st I stumble every time I hear this because here's the guy who's the spiritual warrior, right? Can you picture the Apostle Paul with the helmet of salvation and the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace and the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit, and he's equipped to go, and he says, but pray for me because I get afraid and I might not be able to do what you're calling me to do. And every pastor worth his salt loves this prayer. I'm the first in line to say, you pray for me, please, as I know I need that. Pray for me. And then we pray for each other. You know, one of our members gets a couple hundred Christmas cards every year. You know what she does with her Christmas cards? She doesn't throw them away. She saves her Christmas cards, and every day... She takes one of the Christmas cards she gets and she prays for the person who sent her a Christmas card. And then she throws it away, which is fine. And I love that. I love that. You pray for all the saints. Who do you know who's standing in the need of prayer today? You need to pray for them. We need to pray for each other. Jesus is our example of this. He prays for all the saints. Right now, we're going to pray for our praying. We're going to bow our heads. We're going to pray for our praying. And then we're going to take our collection, our offering. We're going to give that out, and uh, they're going to pass the plates. And then we're going to close the service. But let's right now bow our heads and pray for our praying, shall we? The musicians would come forward. God, our Father, we are standing in the need of learning a fresh and a new way how to pray. We ask you, before we even pray, Lord, to give us your Holy Spirit, to fill us with your Holy Spirit, that your groans for us would give us not only the energy to pray, but you would direct our praying and that you would open our lips so that our mouth could give your praise. 
We ask our Father that you would make us continual in our prayer. That we wouldn't just pray on Sunday mornings or Wednesday nights. We would pray without ceasing. And we pray, Lord, we would persist instead of just being pessimistic. Help us, Lord. Some of us want to give up. Be, come close to that person right now, Lord, who's discouraged about someone or something. Help them not to give up. And keep us mindful, Lord, that the church is bigger than just me. And to pray, to pray for the preachers, the elders, the Sunday school teachers, the small group leaders, to pray for each other. 